Hi, everyone. My name is Jen Malat, a partner in Freshfields Antitrust Practice in Washington and Brussels, and you're listening to Freshfields Essential Antitrust Podcast. Now, in our last episode, we talked about the global antitrust trends we foresee for 2023. And one of those was that we expect to see new or enhanced legislation across a lot of jurisdictions that gives new powers to authorities. And today we're going to talk about a specific instance of this, which is the EU Foreign Subsidies Regulation, or the FSR. Now, this is a new tool that gives the European Commission a huge range of powers to police foreign or non-EU subsidies. And it's a regulation that's going to affect a lot of companies internationally, both in their transactions, but also making public procurement bids. And this is all brand new. We don't have any expert practitioners on this yet because it's just coming into effect. But we have two colleagues here today who've spent a lot of time focusing on this and getting ready for its launch. And they're going to walk us through the details today. So first we have Merit Althoff, who is a partner based in our Brussels office and also a core member of our German antitrust team. And Merit covers all aspects of EU and German competition law, and she also specializes in EU state aid procedures, which, as we'll learn, are very closely linked to some of these foreign subsidies issues. We also have Lauren Bartels, who's a counsel in our London office and an internationally recognized expert in trade law. And in addition to his role at Freshfields, Lauren is also a professor of international law at the University of Cambridge. Now, Merritt and Lauren are going to talk us through what this FSR actually means for businesses. Why was it put into force? Who does it apply to? How can you minimize its burdens? And what do you as a company need to do to get prepared? So Merritt, maybe to kick off, can you just give it to us in a nutshell? What is the FSR and why should anybody care about it? I love this, Jen. I'm very happy to be here today and to discuss that with you really kind of hot off the shelf. What is it in a nutshell? I try to be brief. Why do we have that? Well, if you ask the European Commission, they're going to tell you there's a regulatory gap and we need to fill that. Where is that gap? It's exactly what you said. It relates to subsidies that stem from non-EU member states, so non-EU subsidies. The Commission was saying there is no tool really for them to tackle and regulate these subsidies and prevent distortions of competition in the internal market stemming from these subsidies. Who is affected? I would dare to say everybody. So it's really a wide range of companies carrying out business in Europe. And that is not only limited to M&A, but as you said, there's also a public procurement part and a general investigations part. So it applies to a wide range of undertakings. When should we act and when should companies take action? I think now is really the time. Because the regulation has been adopted at the beginning of this year, and it will apply as of the summer, with notification obligations kicking in in autumn. But now is the time to prepare and get the DD and relevant documentation and information ready and collected within the undertakings and businesses to have a first notification and a form ready if and when the clock starts ticking. Going back to the gap for just one second. I said that cautiously, and I said that because we have Laurent here on the call, and that is to say EU state aid law and everything that's got to do with subsidies that come from EU member states has been regulated for many years under the EU state aid law regime and rules that apply. But one can argue that there was also another regime to tackle exactly what the Commission is now saying falls into that regulatory gap. And that is the subsidies that stem from non-EU member states. Laurent. Right. So there is definitely a gap. The commission is right on this. 
how much of a gap and how much of an overlap there is between the foreign subsidies regulation and the existing regime is something we'll be talking about later. So basically what the EU state aid rules don't cover is foreign subsidies, which are subsidies granted by non-EU member states, so any other government essentially, and it covers these when these are given to any company, foreign company, maybe a subsidiary of a foreign company that is engaged in relevant EU market activities, so potentially distorting market activities. Now, there is one other instrument aside from EU state aid rules, which the EU does have, and that is an anti-subsidy instrument, which is actually the EU's uh, implementation of what in trade law are called countervailing duties which are permitted by the WTO. And these are additional duties that the EU is allowed to impose on subsidized imported goods. Now, it doesn't apply to services, so that's completely unregulated, and that's clearly a gap which the foreign subsidies regulation addresses. But the difficulty is, we'll, we'll mention a little bit more later on, that foreign subsidies are regulated under WTO law, even when they don't cover imports of goods into the EU. Now, what are subsidies? It's a very broad definition. The foreign subsidies regulation adopts pretty much word for word the WTO definition. So it's not just money that a government gives to a company. It's anything that can count as a financial contribution, can be transfer of debts, liabilities, tax breaks, for instance, buying goods or services, overpriced, etc. So it's a very broad definition. Potentially, there's quite a lot that is covered. So, Lauren, I mean, I understand you'd be saying we're talking about a broad regime, big scope in terms of who's covered, what's covered. So lots of new people that haven't had to think about EU state aid before are now going to fall into this. And, you know, I've, I've understood that a big part of the FSR is this M&A tool, which requires a notification and review process of certain mergers. And it's a system that I think on paper looks a lot like the EU merger control process, which is, of course, a very joyful experience that will be familiar to many of our listeners. But there are some differences, I understand, from merger control. And Merit, I'm wondering if you can talk a bit through what those are. And, and in the first place, you know, what are the transactions that are even notifiable under this new regime? Yes, that, that's a good point, Jen. And in a sense, uh, I can give people comfort on that one, because at least for what type of transactions in M&A do fall under the regime, we can stick to a familiar territory, which is the EU merger regulation and the definition of concentrations and types of deal that actually qualify for notification under that regulation at the merger control end are exactly the same as defined under the foreign subsidies regulation. So to give people a little bit of comfort, at least the commission didn't fiddle around with what constitutes a change of control or a type of concentration. The thresholds, however, are a bit different. So while we're familiar with turnover thresholds from the merger control world, they are there as well in the foreign subsidies regulation as one relevant threshold. But the nasty bit is the, what we call the newly introduced foreign financial contribution threshold. And that goes back to, you know, the subsidy threshold, essentially. Foreign means it can be anything. So it can be China, it can be the US, it is also the UK, everything but for the 27 EU member states. Okay, so I've got a concentration. I know it's a change of control. I've done all my, my calculating and figure out I meet the financial contribution threshold. So, so Merit, what happens now? I fill out a really simple one-page notification and it's really easy and we're all done? Exactly, and you put a star on your second page and then you're done. No, 
really sorry to disappoint you, but that thing is actually going to be, to put it shortly, I think very similar to what people are familiar with in submitting EU Form CO and short Form CO merger notifications. So the commission just published a week ago for a consultation, the implementing regulation to the foreign subsidies regulation, including two relevant notification forms. And these are the notification forms that people will be using to notify transactions under the M&A tool. And the other one covers notifications under the public procurement tool to which we're coming later. Let me just dwell on the the M&A notification form for one second, because it is quite a lengthy form. It's got nine sections, so very similar to the merger control form, essentially. On the substantial information and what goes beyond what people are familiar with from the EU merger regulation form, it's all about the financial contributions. So while we've heard already that vast type of financial contributions are covered, tax breaks, and even things that were achieved or generated in terms of revenue in the ordinary course of business is covered. There is a little bit of an exemption or I think relief that the commission has put into the implementing regulation forms and that for the purposes of completing your form, businesses can exclude small financial contributions from their nasty list if the individual amount of the contribution was below 200 million euros or if the total amount of contributions per third country and per third year was below 4 million. So these are two thresholds which relieve you from the burden of detailing at a line-by-line item list in your individual financial contributions, and they reduce the burden a bit on company, but that's about everything. So, so I mean, that's obviously a huge undertaking administratively for especially a big multinational company just to get that all on paper. Merit, are there other parts of the form that are also going to be a really heavy lift for companies? Yeah, for sure. And I'm really thinking about the um, the bidding procedure section six of the form. So it's not only the financial contributions to get that right and listed in your table to convince the commission that either you don't have that many financial contributions or they're limited really, but it's the information that the commission is requesting on bidding procedures and how they went in an M&A context in the sense that the commission would really want to have information on how many bidders participated in the bidding procedure for a certain asset. What are their individual nationalities, background, ownership and control structure and all of that? And that type of information, when I read that first and it came out last week, I was thinking that's super sensitive and commercially confidential information that you as a notifying party being a bidder in a process typically do not have with regards to other bidders in the process. And you can't even go that far to say and argue, well, that is information which from an antitrust standpoint should not be disclosed to me or my undertaking because I could be infringing antitrust rules of information exchange if I had that information. So how on earth am I going to put it in the form? Okay. So... You know, big administrative challenge here. I mean, this is is a process, it sounds like, that could require notifying parties to screen, you know, hundreds of agreements, thousands of agreements or or their financial relationships that they have with any non-EU state governments or government control bodies. Is there any way, Merit, for companies to avoid this, to, to get out of this? Is there a waiver process? Yes, you mentioned the right word. There is a waiver process and we're all very happy that we have that in there now. It's not only something that the commission has promised 
in the legislative process to make available on an informal basis. They have codified it now. It's in their implementing regulation. And they've even defined criteria on when these waiver requests would be acceptable to the commission. Unsurprisingly, it's the typical scenarios of A, the information is not available, or B, the information is irrelevant for the purposes of assessing the case at hand. So I think that drafting is actually good. I caution a bit that we'll need to see how the commission engages on that, but I would encourage businesses and undertakings to make use and really quote from that waiver possibility, which is in there now. In addition, I think there's obviously at the moment the consultation on which parties can also participate with regards to that waiver process. And given that is open, I think I'd encourage everybody to do that. Lauren, how does all of this relate to trade law? Because from what Merritt is describing, it sounds like there's actually quite a lot of overlap between the two. Okay, so we have been talking about overlaps between the foreign subsidies regulation and existing international mechanisms, and in particular WTO law, which also cover foreign subsidies to a certain degree. And this overlap is very important for businesses because in the foreign subsidies regulation, Article 44.9 draws a line and says, well, when there is a possible overlap, then the commission won't take action in the form of commencing an investigation or adopting any redressive measures that follow on from an investigation. It doesn't say anything about notifications, interestingly enough. So what are these overlaps and how can they help businesses know when they don't actually need to worry too much about the foreign subsidies regulation? Well, essentially, there are two types of overlap. Well, maybe three. So one I've mentioned before, which is anti-subsidy duties. And these are additional duties that the commission can impose on subsidized imports of products. And it seems very unlikely that when that is an option, the commission will take action under the foreign subsidies regulation. But that still leaves a couple of other overlaps that we need to be concerned about. One of those overlaps is where a foreign subsidy benefits a foreign company, and that also benefits the production of goods in any country. And it doesn't just have to be goods that are exported into the EU. And I have to say the Commission has emphasized that maybe a little bit too much. It actually goes much broader than that. So if the US imposes or grants subsidies to US products, as it is going to do with the Inflation Reduction Act, and those products are then more competitive in the United States or even in another market, not the EU, but even in another market, then that's clearly something that the WTO system is designed to do. And if it's the same subsidy that benefits those goods and then comes within the scope of the foreign subsidies regulation for the reasons that are set out in the foreign subsidies regulation, and then that triggers all of these potential actions, then you have an overlap issue, which needs to be looked at very closely. Now, the second, in addition to that area of overlap, is where the foreign subsidies regulation will interfere with any other international mechanism that deals with this. And not many people have really spoken about this yet, but what this might involve is an international agreement under which the EU has already agreed with another country, a foreign country, that it will deal with subsidies in a particular way, particularly when these affect the production of products. And again, it 
isn't just limited to uh, production of those products and then export into the EU. And this can be where there's a fairly sophisticated subsidies regime in place. So it could be, for instance, that the EEA agreement, European Economic Area Agreement, which is three remaining countries, Norway, Iceland and Liechtenstein, where there is already a proper subsidies regime that applies. That might also cut down the scope of the foreign subsidies regulation. And it could also be, interestingly, I think, the United Kingdom, because there, I'm not just talking about the trade and cooperation agreement, I'm talking about Article 10 of the protocol, the Northern Ireland Ireland protocol to the withdrawal agreement, because that essentially exports EU state aid rules to subsidies that are granted to Northern Irish, well, in Northern Ireland, but also affect the rest of the UK. And that's been very controversial between the UK and the EU. But that's clearly a regime that applies to foreign subsidies, which the EU has already signed up to. And to the extent that that's been done, I would expect that that would also cut down on the scope of the foreign subsidies regulation. So all of this said, there are some important overlap and demarcation issues between what the foreign subsidies regulation says, if you just read it on its own, and its allowable scope, even according to the foreign subsidies regulation itself, because 44.9 is critical, that sets out some markers that aren't always clear right now, but are going to become clear as time goes on as to how far this regime can actually extend when there's already international law and international regimes that deal with these foreign subsidies. And Lauren, that's all really interesting, the fuzziness of those boundaries. And and I can see that a lot of companies are going to hope for a lot more clarity uh, on those boundaries and what fits where before they take decisions on whether to notify or not notify under the FSR on that basis. But Merit, maybe shifting to some of the practicalities, assuming that we've decided to notify, we've confirmed we're in scope, we've put our notification in, what comes next? What in the review are the substantive issues that the EC is actually assessing when it is reviewing a filing that's made under the FSR? There is certainty on one thing, and that's at least on the timeline and the review process. So that's going to be aligned with the EU merger control review process, and people will know that there are two phases and that there are certain working daytime limits. So, so that's all the same under the FSR. And I think that's good news. The substantive review and the focus of what the Commission is going to be concerned with on a substantive level differs from the EU merger regulation that is fundamentally concerned with competition, distortions to competition in the internal market stemming from a certain concentration. Here, the focus is more on the foreign contribution and the subsidy and whether that subsidy in itself is able to distort competition in a given market. And for that, the Commission will take into account factors as the amount of subsidy, the nature of the subsidy. Is it an individual situation in which only one undertaking got that subsidy or that financial contribution? Or are various undertakings from a specific sector or industry all benefiting from the same treatment? And the Commission is going to take all these factors into consideration and say, look, what is the effect on markets of all of these taken together? And is there a distortion or not? One will have to see how they do that. But if they find a distortion, there is at least for the Commission the possibility to do something which I call a little bit of an efficiency test or they call it a balancing test. You know, I mean, if there isn't a distortion, you can still balance that distortion out by potential positive effects that the subsidy brings about. First question, what are potential positive effects of a foreign subsidy? Well, it's not specified in the regulation, so it's a little bit of guessing. And 
Second, how do you evidence that? Also, a lot of guesswork going on there now. I think bottom line on the substantive review, the commission will most likely focus on what they call the most distortive types of subsidies and what they're familiar with from EU state aid law. So rescue and restructuring subsidies or help and support to already in you know, ailing firms, unsecured state guarantees and things like that. Lauren, how does what the commission is looking for here, how does that comport with the kinds of issues we typically look for in like a WTO proceeding, for example? Well, when it comes to distortive subsidies, what's interesting is that the Commission is also busy negotiating the same sorts of prohibitions on these super distorting subsidies at the multilateral level. So these types of subsidies are already covered by the subsidies regime in trade law, but prohibiting them makes it much easier for the EU well, and others, for other prohibited subsidies, to actually deal with this. At the moment, the EU is negotiating with the US and Japan. They've issued a trilateral statement. They're trying to push this along in the WTO. But what this shows really is that there's an overlap, or at least a potential overlap, because it's the same concepts that the Commission is using both in the foreign subsidies regulation for the specific purposes of trying to deal with distorted effects in the EU market, as it is also using at the international level, where it is interested in all other markets. And the question is, well, what if more than one market is covered at the same time by the same subsidy? How is one going to disentangle all of that. It's really quite tricky. And I hate to say it probably needs to be dealt with on a case by case basis. But that probably uh, is true in this case, it, it really is just very difficult to work out how in practice to divide the different regimes as they have to be divided. I agree, Laurent. And I think the Commission will probably answer and say, well, the WTO and multilateral level is not going fast enough, then we don't think it's effective and it's not working. And that's why we need this extra instrument, which is not multilateral state to state, but we can go directly and impose remedies on companies. And that's what they can do under the regulation. I mean, let's face it, there is a long list of possible redressive measures so similar to remedies and merger control, but they also include elements of state aid law, for example, the repayment of the subsidy, but then the typical remedy stuff like structural measures or behavioral commitments. So it's really the best of both worlds that the commission has looked at and cherry picked, I'd even say, for the redress of measures, state aid type of remedies and merger type of remedies. Hmm. And we've been obviously talking a lot here about the M&A context, but I understand there are also prongs of the FSR that deal with public procurement and, and EC own initiative investigations. And Merritt, I wonder if it's worth just saying a couple of words about those so people are aware that they exist. Yeah, and I think they actually merit a couple of words because people are so focused on the M&A tool that they tend to forget that there are also two other mechanisms, mechanisms in that regulation. And for public procurement, there are a lot of big public procurement procedures out there, which would probably trigger the threshold, which has, you know, a contract value of 250 million or more. And the Commission for the Public Procurement Procedures had really set up a similar two-phase review procedure as for the, for the merger control and concentration type module. And that, unfortunately, this two-phase procedure for public procurement reviews can take up to 200 working days. I mean, that is so much time and that will be running in parallel to the public procurement procedure and the bid cannot be awarded until the commission has taken a final stance under the FSR. So I think that's going to be 
impacting heavily, you know, different types of bidders in a public procurement procedure with links to third countries and financial contributions on the balance sheet. And I think in reality, put a lot of bidders that would qualify for FSR review at a disadvantage compared to others. And it won't surprise you to know that this is, of course, a likely overlap and potential problem with trade law. And why? Well, because the WTO, not for all countries, but for a good number of countries, many that will be affected by this, and also many of the EU's standalone free trade agreements have rules on public procurement. And what do these rules say? Well, as you can imagine, one of the key obligations in these rules is not to discriminate against foreign bidders. Now, again, we have to see how this is all implemented in practice and whether or not foreign bidders are disadvantages as Merritt was suggesting they might be. But this is just to say there's another difficulty out there and one which would, by 44.9 I mentioned before, of the foreign subsidies regulation, have to curtail the operation of the foreign subsidies regulation. So in a sense, the regulation itself gives with one hand and then takes from itself with the other. Uh, how this is all going to work in the future, how, in practice, is something I think going to be very interesting to watch. And just to add, not that I want to be even more complex, but you mentioned it, Jen, and there is in addition to the public procurement tool, also what the commission called the investigations module. And that's really a catch-all. I can take it up upon my own initiative tool that the commission has given itself, where it can look at any type of situation in the internal market and where it deems that there might be a foreign subsidy involved and there might be a distortion of competition stemming from that. We can just open a formal investigation. And that is without any monetary or value thresholds as for the other two. And that would then be an investigation which would be probably very familiar to what we are used to from antitrust 101 cases. It, it's really interesting both. And, and I think maybe if we can sum up sounds like it's clearly going to become critical for companies to factor FSR into deal planning the same way that we now do merger control and foreign direct investment type filings, but also on this procurement and investigations tool on, on business planning more generally. Um, and so, you know, uh, appreciate that this is, is brand new and, and the discussion is a little bit conceptual at this point, but I wonder if each of you could give companies one concrete action point that they can take away and and start working on to make sure they're compliant with this, what would that be? Uh, Laura, do you have any thoughts? Well, I mean, we've talked about a fair few complexities with the foreign subsidies regulation. And one point in the Commission's favour is that it knows very well that there are some complexities. And as was mentioned earlier on, there is a consultation process at the moment. You've got until the 6th of March, it's not much time, but it's a little bit of time, to feed in your views on how this should all operate. And the Commission has been open about it. So I would say, take advantage of this openness. And uh, I'm sure that in particular, the Commission would be interested in any views on how, practically speaking, from a company's point of view, the foreign subsidies regulation may relate to the EU's existing trade law obligations and where the Commission should really not consider taking any action and who knows, maybe not even require these burdensome and expensive notifications when it is likely that a subsidy, a foreign subsidy, should really be dealt with uh, in a different forum. Fully agreed. 
Yeah, I'm just going to add to that. I think that's a very good point. And that public consultation, the 6th of March, is really a great opportunity. In addition to that, from my point of view and having discussed with clients at length, there must be a way to prepare for that already now and that you should be getting your DD and your file information right on financial contributions because that is really what will be required in the forms. And I know that that is super difficult, complex and you're not going to talk to your auditors or accountants and they got to point you to the financial contributions that sit in your balance sheet. But that really, in most of the cases, is a sort of a line by line manual exercise to find out where within your group of companies certain financial contributions might sit and who they stem from. And I think once that first step is done, you then ought to check whether those financial contributions were received on market terms, because that is, let's be honest, the kind of substantive review test that the commission will apply on whether or not the financing that you use for a certain transaction or the loans which are in place to stabilize your capital structure were granted to you on market terms or not. And I think the risk can be lowered if you can prove that what you have on balance sheet in terms of financial contributions is actually on market terms, because then you can point to state aid law and say, look, this is how the commission has done it for years. And if something is on market terms, you should fundamentally not be concerned with distortions of competitions. On the deal timeline, and if you have deals in the pipeline, look at whether you sign them after or before the 12th of July, sign them before the 12th of July, and you're out of scope, sign them after the 12th of July, you're in scope. And the notification obligation kicks in as of the 12th of October. So by then, companies and deals that were signed after the 12th of July need to be notified in the, the FSR form that we were discussing earlier to the European Commission. In addition to, and I shall say that again, merger control and foreign direct investment review. So we're really talking about a three-layer regulatory review regime, which companies are facing here in the EU for the next couple of years. Well, thanks very much, Merit and Lauren. I mean, I think it this is very much aligned with the trend that we talked about on the last podcast of regulatory processes getting more complex, not less, for deals and for companies more generally. But it's wonderful that we have people like you to help walk us all through it. So for those listening, please feel free to contact Merit or Lauren or your normal Freshfields contract if you have any questions about the FSR or want to start thinking about how you would get compliant. There are already a lot of companies working on how they will prep for this regime and and we're happy to help you do the same. On my end, we'll be back next month with more podcast content. So we look forward to seeing you next time. And thanks very much for listening to Essential Antitrust.